This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. The Romance of Tristan and Isolde by Joseph Bedier. Translated by H. Bellot. Part the Third. Isolde of the White Hands. Apart the lovers could neither live nor die, for it was life and death together, and Tristan fled his sorrow through seas and islands and many lands. He fled his sorrow still by seas and islands, till at last he came back to his land of Lyonesse, and there Roholt, the keeper of faith, welcomed him with happy tears and called him son. But he could not live in the peace of his own land, and he turned again and rode through kingdoms and through baronies, seeking adventure. From the Leonese to the Lowlands, from the Lowlands on to the Germanies, through the Germanies and into Spain, and many lords he served and many deeds did. But for two years no news came to him out of Cornwall, nor friend, nor messenger. Then he thought that he sought had forgotten. Now it happened one day that, riding with Gorvenal alone, he came into the land of Brittany. They rode through a wasted plain of ruined walls and empty hamlets and burnt fields everywhere, and the earth deserted of men. And Tristan thought, I am weary, and my deeds profit me nothing. My lady is far off, and I shall never see her again. Or why for two years has she made no sign, and why has she sent no messenger to find me as I wandered? But in Tintagel Mark honours her, and she gives him joy. And that little fairy bell has done a thorough work, for little she remembers or cares for the joys and the mourning of old, little for me, as I wander in this desert place. I too will forget. On the third day at the hour of noon, Tristan and Gorvenal came near a hill, where an old chantry stood, and close by a hermitage also. And Tristan asked what wasted land that was, and the hermit answered, Lord, it is Breton land which Duke Hod holds, and once it was rich in pasture and ploughland, but Count Riel of Nantes has wasted it, for you must know that this Count Riol was the Duke's vassal. And the Duke has a daughter, fair among all king's daughters, and Count Riol would have taken her to wife. But her father refused her to a vassal, and Count Riol would have carried her away by force. Many men have died in that quarrel. And Tristan asked, Can the Duke wage his war? And the hermit answered, Hardly, my lord, yet his last keep of Carhe holds out still, for the walls are strong, and strong is the heart of the duke's son, Caerdin, a very good knight and bold. But the enemy surrounds them on every side and starves them. Very hardly do they hold their castle. Then Tristan asked, How far is this keep of Cahe? Sir, said the hermit, it is but two miles further on this way. Then Tristan and Gorvenal lay down, for it was evening. In the morning, when they had slept, and when the hermit had chanted, and had shared his black bread with them, Tristan thanked him, and rode hard to Cahe. And as he halted beneath the fast high walls, he saw a little company of men behind the battlements, and he asked if the duke was there with his son Caerdin. Now Hod was among them, and when he cried yes, Tristan called up to him and said, I am that Tristan, king of Lyonesse, and Mark of Cornwall is my uncle. I have heard that your vassals do you a wrong, and I have come to offer you my arms. Alas, Lord Tristan, 
Go you your way alone, and God reward you. For here within we have no more food, no wheat or meat, or any stores but only lentils and a little oats remaining. But Tristan said, For two years I dwelt in a forest, eating nothing save roots and herbs. Yet I found it a good life, so open you the door. They welcomed him with honour, and Caerdon showed him the wall and the dungeon keep with all their devices, and from the battlements he showed the plain, where far away gleamed the tents of Duke Riol. And when they were down in the castle again, he said to Tristan, Friend, let us go to the hall where my mother and sister sit. So, holding each other's hands, they came into the women's room, where the mother and the daughter sat together weaving gold upon English cloth, and singing a weaving song. They sang of Doet the fair, who sits alone beneath the white thorn, and round about her blows the wind. She waits for Dune, her friend, but he tarries long and does not come. This was the song they sang, and Tristan bowed to them, and they to him. Then Caerdon, showing the work his mother did, said, See, friend Tristan, what a workwoman is here, and how marvellously she adorns stoles and chasubles for poor minsters, and how my sister's hands run thread of gold upon this cloth. Of right, good sister, are you called Isolt of the white hands. But Tristan, hearing her name, smiled and looked at her more gently. And on the morrow Tristan, Caerdon, and twelve young knights left the castle and rode to a pine-wood near the enemy's tents, and sprang from ambush and captured a wagon of Count Riol's food. And from that day, by escapade and ruse, they would carry tents and convoys and kill off men, nor ever come back without some booty, so that Tristan and Caerdon began to be brothers in arms, and kept faith and tenderness, as history tells. And as they came back from these rides, talking chivalry together, often did Caerdon praise to his comrade, his sister, Isolt of the White Hands, for her simplicity and beauty. One day, as the dawn broke, a sentinel ran from the tower through the halls, crying, "'Lords, you have slept too long. Rise, for an assault is on!' And knights and burgesses armed, and ran to the walls, and saw helmets shining on the plain, and pennons streaming crimson like flames, and all the host of Riol in its array. Then the duke and Caerdon deployed their horsemen before the gates, and from a bow-length off they stooped and spurred and charged, and they put their lances down together, and the arrows fell on them like April rain. Now Tristan had armed himself among the last of those the sentinel had roused, and he laced his shoes of steel, and put on his mail and his spurs of gold, his hauberk and his helm over the gorget, and he mounted and spurred, with shield on breast, crying, Carhe! And as he came, he saw Duke Riel charging, rein free at Caerdon, but Tristan came in between. So they met Tristan and Duke Riel, and at the shock Tristan's lance shivered, but Riel's lance struck Tristan's horse, just where the breastpiece runs, and laid it on the field. But Tristan, standing, drew his sword, his burnished sword, and said, Coward! Here is death ready for the man that strikes the horse before the rider. But Riel answered, I think you have lied, my lord. And he charged him. And as he passed, Tristan let fall his sword so heavily upon his helm that he carried away the crest and the nasal. But the sword slipped on the mailed shoulder and glanced on the horse and killed it, so that of force Duke Riel must slip the stirrup and leap and feel the ground. Then Riel too was on his feet, and they both fought hard in their broken mail, 
their scutcheons torn and their helmets loosened and lashing with their dented swords, till Tristan struck Riol just where the helmet buckles, and it yielded, and the blow was struck so hard that the baron fell on hands and knees. But when he had risen again, Tristan struck him down once more with a blow that split the helm, and it split the headpiece too, and touched the skull. Then Riol cried mercy and begged his life, and Tristan took his sword. So he promised to enter Duke Hoel's keep, and to swear homage again, and to restore what he had wasted. And by his order the battle ceased, and his host went off discomfited. Now when the victors were returned, Caedin said to his father, "'Sire, keep you, Tristan. There is no better knight, and your land has need of such courage.' So when the duke had taken counsel with his barons, he said to Tristan, "'Friend, I owe you my land, but I shall be quit with you, if you will take my daughter, Isolt of the White Hands, who comes of kings and of queens, and of dukes before them in blood.' And Tristan answered, "'I will take her, sire.' So the day was fixed, and the duke came with his friends and Tristan with his, and before all, at the gate of the minster, Tristan read Isolt of the White Hands, according to the church's law. But that same night, as Tristan's valets undressed him, it happened that in drawing his arm from his sleeve, they drew off and let fall from his finger the ring of green jasper, the ring of Isolt the Fair. It sounded on the stones, and Tristan looked and saw it. Then his heart awoke, and he knew that he had done wrong, for he remembered the day when he saw the fair had given him the ring. It was in that forest where, for his sake, she had led the hard life with him, and that night he saw again the hut in the wood of Moroi, and he was bitter with himself that ever he had accused her of treason, for now it was he that had betrayed, and he was bitter with himself also in pity for this new wife, and her simplicity and beauty. See how these two assaults had met him in an evil hour, and to both had he broken faith. Now Isolt of the White Hand said to him, hearing him sigh, Dear Lord, have I hurt you in anything? Will you not speak me a single word? But Tristan answered, Friend, do not be angry with me, for once in another land I fought a foul dragon and was near to death. And I thought of the mother of God, and I made a vow to her that, should I ever wed, I would spend the first holy nights of my wedding in prayer and in silence. Why, said Isolt, that was a good vow. And Tristan watched through the night. End of Isolt of the White Hands